Hi there, my name is Adam Waters, and I'm the lead pastor here at Grace Bible Church in Elmhurst, Illinois. I'm just so glad that you made the decision to take us along with you this week on life's journey. Here at Grace Bible Church, we are a family of faith who seeks forgiveness, healing, and hope in Jesus Christ. Now, we might all come from different backgrounds, but each of us recognize that the tremendous needs in our lives point us to one place, to God, for His answers, His provision, and mostly for His grace. I hope the following program gives you a new perspective on who God is, who you are, and how you too might find forgiveness, healing, and hope in our Lord Jesus. Thanks for listening. to scripture. I'm reading from Mark 8, verse 27 through 9-1. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Messiah. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. Then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. And he said to them, Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see that the kingdom of God has come in power. Morning. As you're getting to know me, and I get to know you, you may learn that I'm not an adventurous person. Especially adventurous person when you come to the, come to the eating realm. There are many areas in my life that's um, probably not uncommon for you to hear this. A lot of us are unadventurous. Maybe we even have a list of forbidden foods for the household. Bananas, mushrooms are not allowed in our house. Just keep that in mind. But 
this could be, you know, there's a lot of reasons for this if behind this. This could be, you know, genetics. There could be just lessons learned from family, product, the culture, whatever. But either way, I was a limited eater for many a time. Casseroles. Mom Fox makes a lot of casseroles. Chicken, burgers, pot roasts, if you want to get a little wild. Taco night. Things like sushi, Indian food, Middle Eastern food, not anywhere in my realm of food. Heck, even hot sauce wasn't really good, welcomed in the house. Didn't like it, love it now. But while nothing is wrong with loving a limited selection from the food pyramid, it means you're gonna be missing out on a lot of cultures' foods. And for me, my perspective on food changed when Andrea came into my life. Andrea is, I'm looking to say this in the kindest way, a much more cultured eater than I am. A brave diner. She encouraged me to try new things. So I did. And two dates of our early dates when he started dating popped to mind. The first one is when we went mini golfing and hit an Indian buffet. I can remember that date because... And then the second one, we ate at a shawarma house. So we, and I remember those dates because I left hungry on both of them. <laughs> I can see, remember the Indian nights where Andrea's at the buffet piling up her plate with these delicious, delectable des foods. I had one piece of chicken. And like a lot of free bread. A lot of free bread. I left hungry. But I tried it. The next, I remember all same goals for the shawarma night. We went, and I'd never eaten this thing before, I'd just seen it in the movies. So we went and I said, you know, make it like you normally make it. And they did. It was gross. <laughs> it was gross. And I can remember this specifically because I remember texting probably my dad and my brother on the way home, be like, defrost a pizza. Super hungry. But in life, we can change our perspective on things. Mine did because of the love of my wife while we went back to those two restaurants and I tried them, especially the shawarma one. I got everything on the side. I was that customer. Every single thing on the side and I tried and tasted until I figured out what I liked and didn't like. Now I love it. But we can change our life in other ways as well from maybe we love of an actor, a movie, a business. We can change on our perspective of God too and why we should follow him. Today, we'll be looking exactly at that, a change of perspective for Peter and those following Jesus. We need to understand the simple truth. Following Christ means we must have the right person, priority, and path. So we're going to jump into Matthew at chapter 8 one more time today and understand our first points, that in order to believe in Jesus as the Messiah— we must be following the right person. So are we following the right person? What is our perspective of who Jesus Christ is? Is mine the same as yours? Is our churches the same as the church down the street? I want to say yes, but it's not. It's not. People see Jesus and God from different perspectives, different sides. Rarely see, do they see the whole picture. 
And the many sides of Jesus are that. There are many perspectives people take alone out of Jesus because Jesus could be, you know, the hippie love person, peace and love, the son of God, the healer guy, the miracle, the wrath bringer, the peacemaker, teacher, high priest, Messiah, carpenter, good guy, wise man, king, son, whatever. There's a lot of different perspectives people could take on. Those are just some. And what the problem is, as we can see from Mark chapter 8 today, that um, we're missing out on the bigger picture. Because in Mark, we start off, in, as we read already today, in Mark 8.27, Jesus pros a good question to his disciples while they're traveling. Who do people say I am? Interesting question. Great dialogue starter. Who do people say I am? Um, geez, because it makes the disciples think what the man on the street would say. If this were family feud, Steve Harvey probably walk up and say, 100 people surveyed, top three answers on a board. Peter. And that's what they exactly they do. They give, in verse 28, some very good responses. Very generic responses, too, of who Jesus is. Because in verse 28, it tells us, some say John the Baptist... Others say Elijah. Still others, one of the prophets. Again, good answers. Good answers. All excellent people to have your name associated with. Truly is. Not one, you know, charlatan mentioned. Not one telemarketer in the group. These are all good answers. All wrong. But they're very good people. There's nice to hear. Still wrong. But then Jesus comes out with the heavy part of the question in verse 29. What about you? Who do you say I am? Oh. These, what do the men that Jesus have been traveling with, that Jesus have been around with, the men who have seen him do some amazing things, who do you say I am? What would their perspective be? Is it limited, like ours can be too? Are they following the right person? Peter speaks up. And for some of us, we know Peter. He speaks up a lot. He's one of those people. We all need those people in our life. Speak first. In verse 29, he says, Jesus replied, well, what, what about you? Who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Messiah. Good answer. This is the, remember the, you know. good answer, good answer. We're continuing the family feud theme. So There's a little bit longer. But while it is naturally, we're inclined to see Jesus from our limited perspective, he's not just a good man. He's not just a prophet. He's not just a teacher. He's the Messiah. The one that God chose to send to earth to save us from our sins. And as we can see in the parallel of Matthew's perspective from this in Matthew chapter 16, this answer that Peter got, he didn't read from his t Twitter accounts. He didn't read that there. He didn't just kind of like find it on some parchments. No. He this was from God. This was not from a Peter response. God, this was a God response through Peter. Jesus is the Messiah. He is the son of the living God. The one that stepped down from heaven for us to be forgiven so that we can be saved. Jesus is the Christ, the only right person to follow. But instead, our culture tends to follow 
other things. Sometimes, as Christians, we follow ministers. We follow organizations, ideals, businesses, celebrity, uh, power, fame, all sorts of nonsense. Those are the things we cling ourselves to. None of those can forgive sin. Christ alone can. And as Peter's famous declaration shows us who he is, and most importantly, why we should follow him. It doesn't matter where you come from, what our background is, what atmosphere we're surrounding ourselves. The simple truth is that God loves you and wants a relationship with you. He came here so that we can be eternally and completely forgiven. While the world is still looking for that right person in the wrong places, they're try- placing their hope in things that are temporary, things that are fragile, things that will go away, not in Christ. But to be fair, Peter and the disciples had the wrong perspective of following Jesus by having the wrong priorities, which brings us to our second point today. Hold the right priorities. We can see already from our example of Peter and the disciples, following the right person is very important. Following Jesus is important. But we still have to have the right priorities while following the Messiah. Because even Peter, the rock himself, got it wrong at times. The correct priorities in following Christ Jesus is knowing that Jesus came here to die for our sins, to rise again. Jesus even tells the dudes that in verse 31. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief of priests, the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. Jesus is telling them the Messiah, the one sent by God, the promised and long-anticipated Savior of the world, will suffer a lot. He will be rejected a lot. And, and when I say rejected, not just be like, oh yeah, we expect Jesus to be rejected by the, you know, the Gentiles, the Samaritans, the people that don't like him in the first place. Yeah, that's, we get that. No, 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 no rejected by like the chief priests, rejected by the common man, their teachers of the law, the people of the Jewish faith rejected him. The ones you would think would be the first people in line saying, Messiah, arms open wide, the Son of God welcomes here, not opening with pain, not bringing rejection to him. Jesus is telling his disciples, he will die but he will be resurrected three days later. It's kind of an information dump on on these guys. And God bless them, Peter processes things out loud. Some of us have like a little journal to write in. I have a friend to talk with, an inner monologue. Not Peter. (laughs) Not Peter. And to be fair, like we talked about in our growth group, Many of the disciples probably had the same thought. Peter was just the only one willing to say it out loud. <laughs> but Peter and a lot did not expect that Jesus, what he meant as the coming Messiah. Peter, as a follower of God, still clung to those humanistic priorities of who the Christ is. Peter and the public expected that when God sent the Messiah, 
he would become, you know, this war-bent hero of old. That this person that would restore the nation of Israel back to its days, kick Rome in the teeth. And that's a lot of, that's the common thought for the, uh, for the first century Jewish people. They had the dream for themselves that their nation would be their nation again. They clung to those Old Testament prophecies of the coming Messiah, the one sent by God. And as Jeremiah wrote, execute justice and righteousness in the land. That's what they thought. And yeah, we can read that today as modern Christians. And read the same verse in Jeremiah 23 and say, well, yeah, that's Jesus. That's what he's here to do. How do you not see that? But the people in the first century had thought when Jesus said the Messiah was coming to execute justice on all who was in their way. Rome was in their way. The nation of Israel was not like it was under King David. That is where their mind went to. Bring Israel back to the days of old. Kick Rome in the teeth. Tear down the government. Be the dominant nation and people once again. Little did they know God had a much different plan. The small-minded people that we are thought that the worst thing in the world at that time was Rome. Not sin that's ravaging our life and our world. So when Peter hears this, that Jesus coming and talking about his upcoming suffering and his death, it sends off warning alarms in his head. Peter did not like hearing this about his Messiah, that Jesus was going to suffer and die. That's not what he thought would happen. So instead, in verse 32 and 33, Peter rebukes Jesus for saying these things out loud, not having the ending he hoped for. Verse 32 tells us, He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at the disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. It's a little hot in here after reading that. Must be the tense part of me. Come to the Enneagram Nine personality of me just runs away from these type of person conflicts as the peacemaker. Not going to want to get in this conversation. It looks a little caliente. No. Jesus rebukes Peter for his foolish denial of what is necessary for his humanistic thoughts on what the Messiah has come here for. And the word rebuke, written here in the Greek, is epitomao, means to admonish, show strong disapproval, warn forcefully. All right. Admonish, strong disapproval, warn forcefully. We've seen Jesus rebuke other things in the past. Jesus rebuked a demon. We saw in Matthew 4, Jesus rebuked the storm, told it to be silent. Now, Peter's on that list. Peter, Jesus is telling Peter that he's showing them this strong disapproval. He's warning him forcefully at these statements leveled at Peter and probably the other disciples too. Because Peter and so many others in the time of Jesus didn't grasp the right priorities and who the Messiah is. They didn't plainly see what was in front of them. 
They had openly talked. Jesus is openly talking about the future. What will happen? But because Peter held on to his fantasy and his thoughts of who the Messiah was going to be, Jesus didn't come back to restore the nation of Israel like under King David. No. Jesus came to come and save souls so we could be eternally forgiven. These guys are missing the truth. Yeah, Peter was the one to identify Jesus as the Messiah just a few verses ago. And yet he is yet to understand what being the Messiah means. Friends, we're kind of like Peter in that way. We're stuck in that same cycle today as a culture. We're not any different because we're still clinging to not understanding to who the Messiah is, having this limited perspective. Instead of seeing the Messiah for who he truly is, for why the Son of God clearly came here to earth, so that we can be forgiven of our sins, so I can be forgiven of my sins. We pull a Peter and take only what we want to take out of it. Jesus is not just a good teacher. Jesus is not just a good man, a wise guy. He's all that. But if we ignore the rest, we're ignoring who Jesus is. And that does not just stop at Jesus, too. We can take the same perspective of God the Father and the Holy Spirit. Yes, some people just cling to the, God as, you know, the old tar- tiny cartoon guy who falls asleep easily. Or maybe like the, kind of like the Zeus type of mentality, randomly kills people just for fun. <laughs> Holy, Sp- Holy Spirit's this uh, little tiny cricket on her shoulder. The balance out the little Satan on the other one that always whispers to us the things we should do. These are limited perspectives of what God, and God is. Because if we're to be followers of Christ, followers of the risen Messiah, we need to hold the right priorities and have the right beliefs. And that means following the entirety of the teaching of Jesus, even the parts we don't like. For example, how about we stop self-editing scripture to make it say what we want it to say? An example I've heard in the past is that we can't take Ephesians 5, this beautiful section of what Christ between husband and wife, of Christ and the church. We can't take it and say, you know what this says here? Woman, make me a sandwich. (laughs) Bible says so. With turkey. That's not what it says. Maybe what some of us wanted to say. That's not what it says. We can't make scriptures twisted into what we want it to say. We need to leave it as what God, and read into what God tells us about it. These are hard truths. Hard truths. And Peter and these first century Jews did not expect the Messiah to be a carpenter's son, born in a manger, to be betrayed, killed. They didn't expect that at all. They probably wanted some muscle-bound hunk coming in and just like overthrowing the government like that restoring their borders. But that's not why Christ came, which means we have to trust our Savior, even if it might not make sense to us. Following Jesus is not easy. In fact, it probably can be humiliating at times, difficult to follow the right path. But that's what we need to do as believers in God. And that means we must follow the right person, Jesus, We must hold to the right priorities. Now I'm saying we must walk on the right path. 
Verse 34 tells us, Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. In order for us to be on the right path, there are three things that Jesus tells us right here that we need to be doing. Deny ourselves, take up our cross, follow Jesus. Let's look at the first one. Deny ourselves. This is a, deny here is a command in the Greek to literally refuse to recognize or acknowledge. Deny, to refuse to recognize or acknowledge. Like I am denying, refusing to recognize, acknowledge that the bears are run by competent people. <laughs> Prove me wrong, Virginia. Prove me wrong. But in this sense, Jesus is telling us we need to first deny ourselves. What does that look like? It's the denial of our sinful self and our old nature habits. As in, I can't go back to the same addictions and same sins that I was in. Whatever it was, alcoholism, drinking, drugs, porn, stealing, whatever. We can't go back and be living in those things. That's not how we are to walk as examples of Christ. On the flip side, sometimes we as Christians get gung-ho about doing this and swing the pendulum too far to the other side as well. Denying ourselves does not mean denying our personality, to have a self-hatred, loathing of ourself. That's not what we need. We can't deny ourselves our needed assets to life. That's not what God is saying here. That's not what Jesus is saying. That would be terrible for a bunch of Christ followers who hate themselves, who try to deny their own personality, who try to deny themselves things that bring their life joy. That's not what God is saying. Deny yourself. Oh, I'm the worst of the worst. Oh, Christianity is terrible. You want to come? That's not what Christ is saying. That is terrible. Instead, he's telling us to be turned away from our self-centeredness from our every attempt to reorient our life away from Christ. Bring us back to uh, life within the Messiah. So what would that look like in your own life? What temptations and idols are still active? Still swaying yourself, trying to get you off the path of correctness. Then there's a second point, which is even more daunting. Take up your cross. Okay. Let's make sure we're in the first century perspective when we talk about take up your cross. Because we think of the cross as the beautifully carved, ornate wood, metal, that is displayed in your culture, you know, saying like, oh, cross, Christian. That's not what the cross was. That's not what the cross meant culturally at the time. The cross brought to mind the sight of a condemned man who was forced to demonstrate his submission to Rome, and by carrying the parts of his cross through the city as part of his execution. That is what it means to take up the cross, was to demonstrate publicly one submission and obedience to the authority which you previously rebelled against. That is what it meant at the time to take up your cross to be submissive to the authority which you used to be, rebel against. 
while what Jesus is telling us when we say take up your cross, now kind of means like, you know what? We're going to the jewelry store on the way home. Get me the biggest, shiniest cross they got there. Or going on Redbubble, beginning the smartest Christian t-shirt that I have. I got a lot of great Christian t-shirts. That's not what that means. It's, a let, it's not telling, it's instead, it needs, we need to prepare us for a life of, filled with difficulties and shame because we're Christ followers. People that are willingly submitting to God, the one in whom we rebelled against for so long. That is what it means for us to be called a Christian. People who are publicly submitting to God in every aspect, knowing the shame, knowing the death that Jesus came for us, deny, taking up your cross. But there's still one more part in verse 34. After deny the cross, after take up, uh, deny yourself, take up the cross, follow God. Now, I understand. Come on, we, this seems like a no-duh. You, those of who are like me who are list takers, who read this initially, go like, okay, if I'm, I'm going to deny, deny myself, take up the cross, follows. Okay, obvious. Check. Doing that. That's not what, this is not a, I'm done. Nope, that's not what this is talking about. This is not of, well, I followed Christ. I went to Sunday school. I went to growth group last week. I follow God. No. That's just a limited perspective of this command from the great teacher. Because when it says to follow or obey, as some translations say, it's telling us that this is a present imperative. Let me tell you what that means. Meaning this, this command is continual. So that you cannot say, I have followed God. That's not what this verse is telling us. It's, instead, it's telling us that I am following God. I will continue to follow God each and every day. It's never done. I'm always continuing. So us list, I know there are some of you who are list takers like me, note takers, list, list makers. You're never going to check that box of completed. Follow God. Check. It's never going to be checked because we're never done. We continue to have to do this. Being a Christian means changing our perspective from the initial salvation moments of who to trust and follow to carrying out his priorities of our life to doing so each and every day. Not easy, but it is life-changing. So where does that leave us at? How does following Christ change our perspective on our lives, our jobs, our daily interactions, our every aspect of our day? Well, if we want to be Christians, it means we not need only to follow God, to believe in him, but to align ourselves with the values that Christ chose us. Changing perspectives is not easy. I know I had, I told you, my little mini food perspective. I changed. It can be done. But when we stop back, step back and see this as a Christ follower, it's so much more. It means putting him first each and every day and everything else after. We can do that by, remember, following the right person, holding the right priorities, walking on the right path. Easy? Able to do it? Probably not. 
But it's a daily process of following Christ, becoming more and more like him, to grow daily by denying ourselves, taking up our cross, and following him. Let me pray. Father God in heaven, I thank you for the opportunity and the reminder that you've given us here today, the opportunity to hear your word, to share this across the world, across Elmhurst and Illinois and whomever else. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to share this. Father, continue to help us to prioritize being a follower of God, changing our perspective on things, putting aside our old ways, our old sinful life, and follow you. Father God, I thank you for the opportunity to share this morning. You name me pray. Amen. Pastor Adam here. Well, I want to thank you for tuning in to Grace Bible Church, and I would love to hear what you thought of today's program or of ways that we can be praying for you and with you. So check us out on social media at GBCL. Also, if you would like to support our ministry, you can give securely at our website at www.gbclm.org. Now remember, God loves you, and so do we.